Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Bounty episode of the Day Zero podcast. I'm Spectre. With me is Z. Today's topics include an RCE via GitHub import, a new supply chain attack on PHP, and some other various topics. As always, the solution for the spot of will be covered on tomorrow's episode. Um, and if you want to check that out, you can check it out in Discord. Uh, we'll also update it there to, to fix the typo that some of you are pointing out in chat. Um, yeah, it's not yeah, on kind Discord of a weird yet. How that happened, but but I'll get it up there after the episode. Yeah. Um, another thing I'll call out for those that are in the chat with us today, <clears throat> Linkbot might not work. Uh, apologies in advance. Seems there might've been some, some update shenanigans, you know, gotta love updates. So, um, as, as before, when we first came back, we'll try to do links manually in the chat as we go through, but, uh, yeah, they, they won't be automated. All right. So, uh, we'll jump into our first topic here, which is from Detectify and it's about their updated reward system for Detectify crowdsource. Uh, now, mostly why we wanted to bring this up in this episode is because it's something that I know I wasn't aware of, and I don't think you were either, right, See, Yeah, this was just new to me. I mean, yes, they've got a new reward system, but the whole program here with Detectify Crowdsource was just new to me, and I think it's a cool idea. We've talked a lot about, um, or I guess not that often, but we have brought it up, especially on the binary one with uh, OSS Fuzz and Google's projects there with the fuzzers that you can like submit your own fuzzer and get paid for everything it finds. This is kind of similar, but more on the bug bounty, like less binary level issues uh, through crowdsource. You do have to go through an application process um, that I think it's like this almost like an eight hour exam. I think they say, you know, set aside like an hour to do it, but you have like eight hours or something. I haven't completely looked into it, but it seems like it's kind of on that side of things where you can implement some automation, give it over to Detectify. Um, and basically get paid out whenever it finds something, uh, which just seems like On a customer base. It's worth de- noting. decent thing to be aware of as just another way of making some money versus always just, you know, doing it all yourself, basically. Yeah, it seems like kind of a cool thing. Um, now, like I said, that the whole like reasoning behind this post is because they made some changes to their program. Um, previously they awarded guaranteed payouts for a listing of technologies that their customers used. Um, so the example they list there is like Adobe experience manager, and you would receive a hundred dollars for every unique hit. Um, so in their example, $300 for three unique hits. Um, but they said some of their researchers on the platform would opt out to not submit bones if it wasn't on the priority list, because it wasn't clear if they'd earn anything. Um, it wasn't really clear if they get any of those unique hits. Um, so with their new changes, they switch to fixed payouts where any submission that's valid and meets their guidelines will get a minimum $300 payout um, and then plus $100 for each unique hit as a bonus. So, yeah, some cool changes there as well. It seems it's a little bit more uh, friendly to researchers now than it was previously. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like a cool program. And like I said, we weren't really aware of it, so we did want to bring it up on the show. Um, and it feeds into some of the topics we've talked about before that that are kind of those scale issues. Um, Port Swigger is kind of coming to mind, but I know we've had others too, where it's like they found one issue in a, in a dependency or something where in this specific bounty they submitted to, it affected their target, but it probably affected many other targets too. Um, this is kind of a good route to go for those kinds of issues. So, uh, Yeah, at least it seems to be. Um, like I said, it is new to me, so I haven't been able to look deeply into it. 
but I did want to at least shout it out here. Uh, SwapGS also mentions you don't even need to implement it yourself. Uh, they'll do it for you. So I don't know the details on that, but that sounds like a pretty good deal if you have one of those kind of foundational issues or if you're even just hunting in that area. Yeah. And while the payout seems a little low, like we're talking like $300 fixed and then $100 for every unique hit, um, when you're talking about these issues at scale, like that that can add up. So but the numbers still make sense, even though they may sound a little low, um, especially for some of those more impactful issues that have a wide range of, of uh, impact, then yeah, that number can fly up quickly. All right, uh, so we'll get into our next topic here, which is an RCE on GitLab via its GitHub import feature. So this one's kind of fun in the way that the, the vulnerability works. Uh, Z, I'll let you take this one away. Yeah, this is um, definitely a fun issue. It's one of those cases of just frameworks trying to be too smart. Um, we've seen it. Be I think I've seen similar things when it comes to like Jackson and, J and kind of the Java world where you have like an API or you have like some formatted data. Uh, that the framework is now trying to turn into an object. Um, you know, this makes sense in like an ORM situation where you have a very structured database and you're doing objects. It makes sense there, but this is with arbitrary data that can be user controlled. Um, so in this case, it's in consuming. So the vulnerability is in GitLab, but it's when GitLab is importing from GitHub. So it's when GitLab is importing or consuming the GitHub API that it uses the Sawyer library. And Sawyer is effectively a framework to do, as I was just talking about, uh, turning those API, well, sorry, Git, GitLab is using OctoKit, which uses Sawyer, um, which is basically turning these API responses into proper Ruby objects. And they show off the quick example here at the, star, at the start where you can effectively create like a 2s method as part of whatever arbitrary object and you control what that is going to contain so if you control the results of any of these api responses which you can do because you can have and gitlab does support uh, github enterprise so like self-hosted uh, github instances you can just provide the uh, github domain so attacker completely controls what the responses are so when it goes to do this import, it's just doing like build command, it's building out commands, basically just taking, you know, whatever 2S is giving it, um, effectively allowing them to inject arbitrary Redis commands, which can result in code execution, uh, their demo against um, the actual, because they did launch this against production, basically just did a replication, but... Um, and stop the replication early before they actually got any data. But they use that as like their proof of concept. But in theory, you know, with uh, with an appropriate gadget, they have one example there. If the system hook push um, could be used to get code execution. Um, and they just have the example of writing to attempt files that. But yeah, a really fun issue. It's one of those things where just creating a pure like full objects out of user data just feels like a really bad idea to me. It's fine. I think if you stay, you know, if you consume JSON as like maybe a map of strings to strings or, you know, give it some other typing there. But when you turn it into these full objects, especially in these languages, Python, Ruby, where you have these sort of magic, not necessarily magic functions, 2S, you are still calling it. It's not implicit like you would have in like PHP. Um, but when you have these kind of conventions that like you assume you're going to be getting one thing when you 
when that can be violated. Just, I don't know. It feels risky to me. Um, and I've just seen so many issues. Like I've called out Jackson for doing this. It's having issues there where people are getting jab RC RCs out of it. It honestly just feels like such a risk to me to do that. It does happen a lot. It's obviously convenient for developers, but it's always one of those code smells. And this is just another case of that. But yeah, fun bug all around. Um, I actually didn't know you could self-host GitHub. I think anytime I've seen GitHub use on the enterprise side, it feels like it's always either just managed by GitHub uh, being run in-house. But I'm not all that surprised that they do support that. I just wasn't aware of it. Yeah, it's worth noting GitLab will only use that uh, direct swear object in a few functions. Uh, so one they call out here is already imported. Um, but yeah, that is something they talked about in the comments, actually, is just uh, getting rid of use of Sawyer entirely, if they can. I'm um, just trying to mitigate this attack surface a bit because, yeah, like you said, it's a pretty dangerous thing to do. Um, and they're worried about other like variants coming up in the future. So it is something they want to address. Um, something else I thought I'd call out is they did get this working on a self-hosted GitLab instance. So they were able to get that, uh, reverse shell or the, the bash command execution. Um, it didn't seem to work on gitlab.com. They suspected there might've been some other form of protection on gitlab.com, or perhaps the, the Redis was isolated better. Um, he did try some other attacks like messing with the Marshall dump method, but that essentially ended up breaking the repository access from the web and he didn't want to cause any other like problems or major issues on the production server. So he just stopped testing there and, and submitted the report. Yeah, well, um, he did but, use the replica um, to kind of prove that there was some level of control here, that he was at least hitting with Redis commands, just didn't yeah. have the actual gadget there. So he did do something. And yeah, I mean, it. you have to walk like there is a balancing act of, you know, proving, trying to prove it and go all the way with it, you know, is great. You know, it feels good when you pop a shell somewhere, but when you're doing that on production, you have the chance of taking things down, the chance of things starting to break. You really don't want to take a client's production system down. It's one thing when, like when I'm working as a consultant, it's usually like a test environment. It's a little bit safer for me to bring things down, although it's still avoidable or something you try to avoid you don't want to like take down github or GitLab or completely break the functionality so i mean it is interesting actually to see their logic because they're like they tested this tried this and then just went with like their stupid basic proof of concept and walked away from it which i think was probably the right move yeah especially with something like GitLab, where it's going to be depended on for companies and their businesses it's it's not something you want to mess with uh you're trying to be ethical about it, we'll say. So, yeah. Um, so the impact there was a bit interesting. It, I did find it curious that it worked like fairly easily on the self-hosted GitLab instance, but not on GitLab.com. Though we have seen other issues like that in the past where the impact was limited on GitLab.com because of their um, more secure setup, I guess. Um, but yeah, this is just another instance of that happening. So it could be more secure. It could just be as simple as slightly different, like naming somewhere, you know, just slight customizations and break some of these gadget payloads. True. All right. So uh, up next, you were just recently talking about PHP. We have a post uh, by Sonar on a new supply chain attack on PHP um, targeting Packagist, which is used by Composer to find and download dependencies. This is off the back of a previous attack on Composer from over a year ago, which we actually covered back on episode 75 of the podcast. 
Um, this was back when we still had the monolithic podcast format, I believe, when we only did one a week. Um, that bug was essentially an argument injection where they had drivers for version control, which had this supports routine, which would take a repo URL and run a command using the given version control software to check if it was a valid repo. Um, this new bug is in much the same manner of being an argument injection, but in a slightly different area. Um, this time being in the get file content method in the git and mercurial drivers, um, which for those who can see the stream, um, they basically used sprintf to build up um, to build up the URL that they pass to the version control software. Um, and for git, that's the git show command. For mercurial, that's hgcat. Um, one place this is called is in the package updaters update readme routine for obvious reasons, fetching the new readme and updating it. Um, the bug here is that the identifier argument to get file contents is not sanitized against argument injection. Um, and so they can just pass arbitrary arguments into the version control software. So much very similar to that previous issue I talked about. Um, they first tried to exploit this in Git, taking advantage of the output argument uh, into Git show. Um, and that would potentially allow them to write the contents of all files in the repo to an arbitrary destination. Um, unfortunately, they couldn't really get that to work out, though, because they would need to create a Git branch that contained the mandatory file suffix there, um, which they need a symbolic link to get around. But because the repositories are cloned with a mirror flag, um, that route's not really viable, though it's just going to be a, a raw uh, clone or um, sorry, a filtered clone. So they're not going to get those um, symbolic links to be able to be followed or anything like that. Um, on Mercurial, they had a bit of a better foothold to work from uh, because they could use the config option. And uh, they use that to override the cat um, option or command to execute a shell script. There was a bit of setup work involved with that payload, um, doing that config overwrite, using the cat read to get command execution and adding that mandatory suffix. Um, and that that's just because packages will only process files ending in text or MD. So they kind of had to splice that onto the end of their payload. Is it um, that it will only process it? Or I think it's just the case that um, after you specify... Um, I'm just trying to find the code here. Um, yeah, I guess the code that we're actually showing here just shows the switch on the extension and text, and we don't actually see the rest. But I think the default is it looks for readme.md, but you can also just configure any random file, and that's how you can get... Um, yeah, you can do the readme file just as a configuration option for, like, the package manifest. Um, and that's how you can get the text file. But it, uh, given the fact they switch here... There might be other extensions it supports, just the vulnerable case was this PXD. Yeah. Um, the patch that was done for this bug was fairly simple. They just checked the identifier to see if it passed in a dash for the first character. And if it did, it would just reject that identifier in the get file contents. Um, and that patch was also, that was deployed both in the Git and the Mercurial driver. So yeah, um, kind of a cool issue. And it's, it's nice to see follow-ups to some of the topics we've covered from a long while ago. So, um, I mean, the argument injection vulnerabilities are always kind of fun because you're always left at the mercy of what is the application doing? What does it like you do? And I'm really surprised that you could actually call config here as part of like a sub command that just any command is randomly going to let you run this config and re-alias what cat does. Or, well, what uh, HG cat does. Like, it just feels like that shouldn't be the case. Like, that should be its own sub command to do that rather than just as a random argument to whatever command you're running. Um, like, obviously, it's great for the exploitation that it's so flexible and lets you do that. 
it just feels really weird to me that it even lets you do that. Um, Because, I mean, the attack route for the Git driver, what they were going to try there was going to that output where um, they can write the contents of files using that output. Like, it's a... It's a little bit more restrictive in terms of what they can do, especially compared to this the HG command. Um, but yeah, I mean it. It just feels like a really weird route. And I'll also call it. They do have um, then where they talk about kind of the attack they were going to try um, against Git targeting the .git config file. Um, they have a separate post. I don't believe we would have covered here, but uh, securing developer tools with uh, Git integrations. I'll drop the link in the show notes there to check out also. Yeah, uh, like you said, though, the exploiting of these kinds of argument injections is fun to cover because uh, it's it's not like a copy paste payload where you can just like stick something in and have it work. Um, you have to tailor the attack to the context that you have. So, um, yeah, and that's that's demonstrated pretty well here by the fact that Git couldn't really they couldn't really get something working um whereas mercurial because of its more flexible nature they were able to get an attack going so um yeah uh overall pretty pretty cool post and yeah i mean the impact here is is pretty insane um packagist is used by a lot of things in php it's it's a very it's a central pillar of the php ecosystem so um yeah pretty impactful attack as well um impactful good find fun bug all around good post. Yeah. All right. So uh, getting into some 40 net stuff, we have an auth bypass and 40 OS, uh, 40 proxy and 40 switch manager um, through the management web portal. So yeah, getting into it. Uh, this researcher was curious. He found this update um, and noticed that it was a security update. Um, so he wanted to diff the patch firmware update in the previous one and root cause the bug and tried to exploit it. Um, goes through some of that patch diffing process and extracting the firmware, which I'll mostly skip for the coverage of this post, but it is there if you're interested in that. Um, but ma- mainly it focuses on getting the node scripts for the back end and any of the other files that uh, were in the update. Um, it turned out the patched code was in the index.js uh, node script and had to do with the HTTPSD proxy handler. And the bugs seem to be a pretty simple one. Um, if we open up the patch file, you can notice that they the patched version sets the forwarded header, um, whereas the previous one would just kind of pass it through. Um, and that's because the client IP field um, could be set from the forwarded header by the attacker, and the report runner would check this client IP for doing authentication checks along with the user agent. And as long as the user agent was report runner and the client IP was localhost, it would accept and process requests. And since both of those are obviously going to be under attacker control, they could just make un- unauthenticated requests to the back end via the report un- runner. Um, with that, there was a lot of potential attacks. The one they mentioned here is updating the admin's SSH key to uh, SSH's admin. Um, they weren't able to update the admin password. Um, I think they mentioned that was just because that there wasn't like an endpoint accessible for them to do that. Um, see, I don't know if you remember exactly why they weren't able to to get that route working, but I don't actually recall them saying why they couldn't get it. Um, but my assumption was probably just something like enter the current password to change it. Um, and thus they can't actually, if you don't know the password, you can't change it a uh, little bit of, you know, saved, saved at the last moment. Um, uh, because of that, um, I also do want to shout out that I guess the vulnerability itself actually seems to be in some decompiled, uh, well, C assembly here, something running in Apache. 
Um, the node scripts, the index.js is where the patch was. They just patched it by basically, you know, you can't send your own forwarded header anymore. They specify yeah. these headers and apply them. So the patch is in that index.js. Uh, but the actual uh, patch diffing that they did, diving into where the vulnerability actually was, um, was in some decompiled code. Or at least this looks very much like a decompiler. I am going to hope that this is not actually code somebody wrote with like BVAR 14. Really hope that's not the case. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a pretty straightforward issue. I mean, we've seen this a ton with X forwarded four. This case, it's a forwarded IP, but very similar idea, slightly different structure on the actual header forwarded uses like a buy and from, I think it's buy and from attributes inside the header, but same idea. Anybody can kind of send it in and, you basically just bypass all the authentication to the management engine. Um, and in this case, the route they went to kind of abuse that is adding the SSH key, but um, it's just a wider issue. And honestly, I I don't say this about a lot of, lot of products, but looking looking at reports over you know the time we've been doing the podcast, I always see these really silly issues out of Fortinet products. We do see Fortinet oh. a lot, yeah. Like, well... <laughs> Not even just covering it, I I just choose not to cover them at times because they're just stupid issues that aren't even that interesting to call out. But it comes up so often uh, that, like, the fact that they're still making these issues, like, this feels like something that if anybody were testing this, they should have come across it. Like, if anybody were testing this, you know, you're going to test X4, you're going to test these different headers. So the fact that it's only getting caught now is kind of crazy to me. It's uh, a pretty low-hanging fruit issue, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I try and be charitable in my interpretations when it comes to these things. Like, try and be charitable, but this shouldn't still be happening in, you know, current year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, and it's something we have seen before quite a bit, too. Just that misplaced trust in, in the headers. But, uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's fun when you see them in these kinds of products too, like Fortinet, because the idea behind them is being like a security product. But it it seems like there's not a lot of effort put in on the security side of things, um, at least for for Fortinet specifically. um, Because like you said, we've covered them on the podcast quite a few times before. And there's a lot of times we haven't covered them because the issues just weren't that weren't worth covering, really. Um, But they are out there and we see them. We used to see them a lot in the... uh, for those that don't know or, or aren't in our Discord, we have the Zero Day Fans channel. And uh, yeah, I think we got a lot of posts in there about uh, about porn in that, um, in that feed. So it pollutes the feed quite a bit. But yeah, um, in this specific instance, yeah, it was just uh, trusting the, the forwarded headers. Um, and yeah, it seems to be somewhat of a common issue. We even covered a post fairly recently that talks specifically about this class of issues. So yeah. All right. Um, for our last topic, we have a last minute edition, um, which is uh, an Apache Commons text interpolation issue. Um, Z, you you noticed this one and, and brought it up, so I'll let you take this one. Yeah, this one saw somebody kind of mention this. It's you know very similar in a sense to Log4j logging gone you know gone wild, doing a little bit of extra work here. Um, in this case, the string interpolation inside of Apache's common text. Uh, has, you know, several options for something to look up, such as scripts to execute expressions using the JVM script execution engine. 
um, you know, DNS URL to load values from URL. So SSRF, um, not as widely used for like logging, like log4j. So this probably is going to be as damaging. Uh, but another case of like a text library, uh, comments text, all just implements lost string manipulation stuff. So it is out there. It is used, um, not exactly for logging. So exactly how you're going to hit, it's going to vary, but. I thought it was an interesting enough bone, just, you know, be aware of to toss into your regular testing. Just see what happens when you toss some of these. Like, uh, I'd probably do something like the URL or DNS one, because that's easy enough to catch, like, a hey, coming back to, um, you know, your burp URL or whatever you want to use there, um, or if you self-host. Um, easy enough to detect it if it's there, and you can just kind of spray it around to see if you come across it. Cause, I mean, Apache's common is fairly common, fairly well used, but definitely different from log4j. Reminded me of it, so I want to call it out here. All right, cool. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all the topics we have for today. Um, unless you have any last minute thoughts, see, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Nope. No shout outs for this week, except for this phone, I guess. All right, cool. So, as always, thank you everyone who tuned in. You can catch the VOD on Twitch immediately or on other platforms like YouTube tomorrow. We also have previous podcasts up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more links on Anchor. If you want to join our Discord and follow us on Twitter, links for those are in the chat or down below. Um, and as per usual, we'll be back tomorrow for the binary episode that'll be at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and we'll see you then.